Amen. Well, we'll move on into our lesson. Did I hear somebody say something? Would you try and get my attention? All right. I know I often miss Brother Hot Rod up there. He has to throw something at me to get my attention. Uh, we'll move on into our lesson. And, of course, if you think of a prayer request or uh, something that you meant to share, uh, we'll give you a moment after the lesson to share that with us. We're in Genesis chapter number 9, the last half of the chapter, verse 18 to verse number 29. And I'll say that the last half of Genesis chapter number 9 through Genesis chapter number 11 a lot takes place. There is a lot of things taking place, a lot of records that are given, a lot of things happening between the end of Genesis chapter number 9 and the end of Genesis chapter number 11 that it's, it's difficult to go over everything that can be covered uh, in short lessons. I mean, there is just a lot that is there. There's a lot that it's, uh, you know, piecing together. There's a lot of concerning races. There's a lot concerning, uh, of course, we have the Tower of Babel. We have the dividing of the people. Uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, Noah's sons and the genealogies from his sons. And I mean, there is just a lot takes place from the, in, from the middle of Genesis 9 to the end of Genesis chapter number 11. And so I told uh, uh, Melissa on the way here, she was asking me what I was teaching on tonight, I said, and I was, of course, I was speaking in jest, but I told her, I said, I'm not sure where I'm going, and I'm not sure how I'm going to get there, so it's going to be an interesting lesson tonight, but, uh, but it's just because there is so much that can be covered in this little bit of space, and so we're going to start tonight looking at the curse of Canaan, the curse of Canaan, and you'll see here on the slide, I've got uh, several books pictured there that have to do with the curse of Canaan. And the reason I put those up is because, and I, I haven't read any of those books, I just Googled uh, books about the curse of Canaan and selected the first five off the top of the Google page because there are so many books that have been written on the subject of the curse of Canaan or the curse of Ham. And the books are very different. They are opposing in their views. There are some very different views about the curse of Canaan, the curse of Ham. Uh, and uh, a lot of times you'll see in those books there, if you were to read the small print just on the cover, you would realize that some of those books are written in opposition to one another uh, because the curse of Canaan is such a uh, heavily debated piece of Scripture, but more than the fact that it's heavily debated is it's a passage of Scripture that has been greatly misused and very misinterpreted uh, many times. And so probably the most misused, most misinterpreted passage of Scripture in the Bible is this passage that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, this passage of Scripture has been used to justify racism. This passage of Scripture has been used to justify segregation. This passage has been used uh, to justify the enslavement of innocent people groups. Uh, it's been used to support erroneous doctrines. It's been used to justify uh, sin that the Bible clearly speaks out against in many other places. And so uh, it is a passage of Scripture that uh, we must come to carefully. We must come to honestly. Uh, we must come to realizing that there's been a lot of misinterpretation, a lot of misuse, but we're also just another human being looking at it within our realm and our scope of understanding. So we must come to it uh, humbly uh, seeking the Lord to reveal to us what is there. Um, in addition to its misuse, there is no shortage of theories and suppositions and hypothetical explanations of what's going on in this passage of Scripture. I'm telling you what, 
I have read so many things this week about this passage of Scripture. My mind is just muddled. I'm like, how do people even come up with this nonsense? Uh, there is so many theories out there about what takes place. You see, I believe the problem is as humans, we want to fill in the blanks. As humans, we want all the details. Now, ladies, don't be offended with me. I'm not at all speaking against you. I'm just speaking about you. At least this is how my lady is and most ladies that I'm acquainted with. Ladies love details. When a lady tells a story, it'll take her 30 minutes to tell you what a man would say in five words. Because guys just don't need the details, you know? It's like, what'd you do today? Went to Roan Oakwood Iron. Why? Get his CDLs. I mean, the whole story. That's all you need to know. But if it was a lady telling the story, they said, what'd you do today? Well, I went with Roanoke. Well, I mean, I was going to go to Roanoke with Aaron, but before I went, I had to take care of the dog. And while I was taking care of the dog, and I mean, it just takes forever because ladies love details. And now I, that is part of what us fellas love about y'all because we would have such a bland life if we didn't have somebody to talk to us, you know. We need somebody to talk to us. But uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway. As humans, although we look at it and we say here's the difference between men and women, in truth, as humans, we want the details. Us guys may not elaborate on them, but we like to know them. You know, we like to know the details. And whenever we come to a passage of Scripture that doesn't have all the details, many times we will run into error trying to fill in all the details. We want to fill in what is missing. What we need to understand, whenever you're reading the Word of God, now the Bible does teach us that we're to study the Scriptures. The Bible does teach us that we're to compare Scripture with Scripture to get a full understanding. So I'm not saying that you just take one verse and just what's in it's all that matters. No, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture to get a full understanding. But if it's not in the Bible, then it doesn't matter as far as the message of the Bible is concerned. God has included all the details that are necessary to convey the message that He is wanting to convey to us. All the details that we need are here. Now, some of the details as far as the story in and of itself may be missing, but those details are not relative to the message of the book. You see, although the Bible contains history and very accurate history, the Bible's not a history book. That's not what it was written for. Now, it does contain history, and the history it contains is accurate, but it's not a history book. The Bible contains scientific explanations, scientific explanations that have been tested, that have been proven, that have been seen faultless, but this isn't a science book. That's not what it was written for. It wasn't written to teach us science. The purpose and the message of the Bible is to reveal man's need for a Savior and God's provision of that Savior. That is the purpose and the message of the Word of God. So everything that is included in this book in some way or other is pointing us to the fact that we need a Savior or that God provided a Savior. And the extra details that seem to be missing, that some people would think prove the Bible is incomplete, 
are not necessary to convey the message that the Word of God is meant to convey. And so whenever we read the Word of God, we need to understand that the Bible contains all the details that we need. And so whenever we come to a passage of Scripture that if we add details, it comes up with a completely different meaning, then we need to be very hesitant as to how we use that theory because there's a chance that it's no longer conveying the message that God meant for it to. Now, that's not to say that we can't fill in as far as like whenever we think of David and Goliath and him going to the creek and him picking up the five smooth stones. Each and every one of us have a visual image in our mind of what that looked like, what the creek looked like, what Goliath looked like, what David looked like, and we fill in those blanks. I'm not saying that there's any harm in that. That helps us see a full picture. What I'm saying is when we begin to change the Word of God because of details we filled in, now we have a problem. If I say that David actually picked up seven stones because I've studied history and I found out that's what soldiers most commonly picked up, now I've corrupted the Word of God. He picked up five. I don't need to add to the Word of God. So you see where I'm going with that. Uh, those who question the authenticity of the Bible uh, based on irrelevant missing details misunderstand the purpose and intent of the Word of God. They misunderstand why it was written. And so Genesis chapter number 9 verse 18 to 29 is an excellent example of man's tendency to fill in the blanks. Let's read Genesis 9 starting in verse number 18. The Bible says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless now as we look into your word this evening. I pray, dear Father, that you will uh, help as we uh, try to understand this passage of Scripture. Lord, I know that there are many opinions about this passage of Scripture. I know there's been many things taught based on this passage of Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray as we come to this passage of Scripture this evening, uh, Lord, that you will help us to free ourselves from all the things that we've heard and have been told uh, by men and Father, that we will simply look at your word and see what it says for what it says. Father, I pray. I pray that you bless with the children's ministries downstairs. I pray you bless uh, Aiden and Pastor Kent as they are teaching and Lord, as they are uh, sowing the seed of the word in the hearts of these young people. And Father, I pray that you work in their life. Uh, Father, I know later we'll be praying for them, but Lord, I do pray for each person. Uh, Lord, that is unable to be with us, or Lord, are having to quarantine at home, Lord, because of the coronavirus. Lord, I pray you touch their bodies. Help them, be with them, and Father, we'll praise you for it. Bless us now throughout this evening. We'll thank you in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Because of the number of misinterpretations that have resulted from this account, 
I believe our best approach to this account is to look at it with fresh eyes, as if we've never read it before, and just see what does this passage say? What do we know? That is your first thing there on your sheet is we're going to look first at what we do know about what took place here in Genesis chapter number 9 based solely upon what we find in the Word of God. Hot Rod, I will tell you, or Tanner, whoever's running the thing, I'll probably be sporadic with my points tonight, all right? I'll try to be clear, but I'll probably be sporadic just to let you know. Uh, Sunday I was very sporadic, and they're like, Pastor John, we had no idea where you was at. But uh, anyway. Anyway, uh, so let give you a, th- a heads up there, all right? Uh, but what we'll be looking at is what we do know, just looking at the passage and what we do know based on the passage. The first thing that we do know is that Noah was intoxicated. That's the first thing that we know. This is clearly stated in verse number 20 and 21. It says, And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. Here we go. This is very clear. Noah was intoxicated. After the flood, uh, Noah planted a vineyard. Uh, Noah started raising grapes. Noah made some wine. Noah drank the wine, and Noah was intoxicated. We know this. This is what the Bible says. There's no doubt about it. What else do we know? We know that Noah was uncovered. The Bible says there at the last part of verse number 21, and he was uncovered. But catch these next three words, within his tent. Now, I'll just say that there's been a lot of things said about Noah, and we'll get to this later on. But many of the accusations made about Noah outside of his intoxication failed to mention that he was within his tent. Okay, so just remember, although Noah was uncovered, Noah was within his tent. He was in a place of privacy. All right, so just keep that in mind as we move forward. But he was uncovered. In his tent. He was intoxicated. He was uncovered. The third thing we know about Noah is that he was unconscious. All right. He had drank so much that he had passed out. We know this from the Word of God. It says in verse number 24 And Noah awoke from his wine. So Noah was intoxicated to the point of passing out. So Noah had drank and drank and drank until he finally passed out and was laying uncovered and unconscious inside of his tent. Uh, We also know uh, studying fermentation with modern day uh, fermentation compared to what would have most likely been available back then. Uh, Noah would have probably had to drink wine from early morning to late in the evening to have reached this point of intoxication because the fermentation back then was nowhere near as powerful as it is now. it would have taken all day, and the Bible supports this in other verses that we don't have time to go look at. Uh, but Noah was pretty much enjoying the fruit of the vine all day long. And finally, finally it just got the best of him, and he is unconscious in his tent. And we see here uh, that he awoke from his wine in verse number 24, proving that he was unconscious. The next thing that we know for sure from this passage of Scripture is that Ham saw his father. Now, this is all very basic, very simple but I think that it's important to get the grasp of the whole passage. It says in verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Now, in a little bit, we're going to be talking about some of the theories about what is meant by this phrase, saw the nakedness of his father. We'll be talking about some of that just a little bit. But I want to point out all the Bible 
tells us is that Ham saw his father. That's all. There is nothing else that the Bible tells us. There's a ton of theories what this phrase means. But all the Bible tells us is that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. So this is what we know for sure. Next we know that Ham told his brothers. He saw his father and he told his brothers. It says there at the end of verse number 22, it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Now again, it seems very probable here that this was some type of a mockery, uh, that Ham was mocking his father uh, for his condition. The Bible doesn't tell us that it was mockery. And so all I'm trying to do right now is take away everything that we've heard. Let's just look, what does the Bible actually say? He saw his father, he told his brothers, all right. Uh, the next thing we see is that Sham and Japheth covered Noah. It says in verse 23, And Sham and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. So, again, there's a lot of suppositions about what these two young men were doing. The Bible tells us they covered dad up. That's what the Bible says they did. They covered dad up. So you can definitely take and fill in a lot of blanks there. And, and a lot of the blanks that I read, how people filled them in, I'm not going to share it with you because it's like, wow, really, your mind went there. But anyway, the Bible tells us that they covered their father. That's all that took place. We see next, and this is one that really stumps people up, but in verse number 24, we see that Noah knew what took place. And you'll see in a little bit that some of the answers to this is very, very simple. But boy, the theories that have been built on it. But Noah knew what took place. It says, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Okay, so Noah knew what had taken place, uh, whatever it was. And then we see the last thing that we know for sure is that Noah cursed Canaan. Now, I used Canaan as the word for you to fill in on purpose, but many times I, I select the blanks purposefully, so I want you to notice the word you're filling in, uh, but specifically I did it on this point. And why did I want you to notice that Noah cursed Canaan? Because Ham is who saw his father. Canaan was Ham's youngest son. Many times when you hear people talk about this story, they will talk about the curse of Ham. Matter of fact, if you would have paid attention to the books I had on the screen, two of them, the title of them was The Curse of Ham. And many times uh, you will hear people teach on The Curse of Ham. Those who use this passage to justify racism and slavery, they will call it The Curse of Ham. But when we look in the Word of God, we see that Noah cursed Canaan, not Ham. It says in verse 25, And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. So now we find out that it wasn't Ham who committed the sin that received the curse, but instead it was Canaan, the youngest son of Ham. So there's what we know. And now when we see what we know, we're like, wow, I'm confused. I can tell by looking at your faces. You're like, wow, I'm confused. There's a lot of empty blanks here. There's a lot of things that needs filled in. A lot of things I'm confused about. And such is the case of many folks who read this passage. So secondly, we want to look at what we don't know. Okay, what do we not know? First thing we don't know is the reason for Noah's drunkenness. 
Now, I've heard many messages preached on the sin of Noah. I've heard many people preach it, how Noah fell from grace after he got off of the ark. All kind of messages I've heard preached about Noah and Noah's sin after the flood. Now, I do want to say the Bible teaches clearly that alcohol is not for Christians. The Bible teaches clearly that intoxication and drunkenness is not for Christians. We talked about that in the message Sunday. Alcohol is not for Christians. So I'm not taking away from that at all. But I will say that this is the first time that wine and drunkenness is mentioned in the Bible. First time. Now, I know that I'm assuming here, and I said from the get-go that assuming will get you in trouble. So I'm going to admit straight up that I'm assuming. But I think it's very probable that this is where we learn that wine will make you drunken. Noah made some grape juice. He didn't refrigerate it. It got old. He drank some, and he's like, man, this has got a new flavor. And he drank some more, and he drank some more, and he drank some more. And next thing you know, he passed out in the tent. That's a perhaps. We don't know that's the case, but it's a possibility. The reason I say this is a possibility is because nowhere in this passage does the Bible say that Noah sinned. And Noah was still able to pass a prophetic curse upon Canaan after this instance. So do we know that Noah was drunk because he had turned from God? We do not know that. Is it possible that this was intentional? Is it possible that Noah's mind was just full of all the devastation and, and perhaps the dead bodies and the things that they saw after the flood and Noah's mind was just filled with these things and he just couldn't handle it and he turned to the bottle to free himself of all this trouble in his mind? It's possible. We don't know why Noah got drunk. That's why this is under the things we don't know. We don't know why Noah got drunk. And if I were to preach a message on Noah's sin, I have misused the Scripture. And if I preach a message saying that Noah hadn't sinned, I've misused the Scripture. Because the Scripture don't say why Noah got drunk. It doesn't give us a reason. It doesn't tell us if it was sinful or not. So we do not know the reason for Noah's drunkenness. The second thing we don't know is the extent of his nakedness, the extent of his nakedness. You say, now why do you say that, Pastor John? Nakedness is nakedness. Well, and this is where some of the theories began to start. In the book of Leviticus, chapter number 18, and verse number 8, the Bible says, The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover, it is thy father's nakedness. And... In Leviticus 20, in verse number 11, the Bible says, And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Based on those two verses, there are entire books written that say that Ham had an intimate relationship with his mother. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. Now, I think that is stretching pretty hard. Because the Bible says uh, here, whenever it talks about what happened, it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren. And then we see that Sham and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. We also understand that it was Noah. The reason this happened, the reason 
that it was able to take place is because Noah was unconscious. Okay? There's no room to fit Noah's wife in here. There, there's no place to fit her in. And so to take this phrase, it says they saw the nakedness of their father, and then take these other scriptures and say this means that Ham committed a, 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 a intimate sin with his mother is terribly adding to the scripture and creating a scenario that doesn't exist, okay? That leads us to the next thing. We do not know the full nature of Ham's sin. There are so many theories. There are theories that say, of course, that he had an intimate relation with his mother. There are theories that said uh, there, it was a, a homosexual sin between Ham and his father. There are theories uh, that said that there was mutilation done by Ham to his father. All kind of theories. It just make your brain smoke, the things that people think of. We don't know the extent of his sin. The Bible says he saw the nakedness of his father. And that is all that is necessary for us to understand the purpose of this story. Once my dad and I was witnessing to a man trying to lead him to the Lord, and he wanted to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. And we're like, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand. The Bible doesn't say. And he began to lay out all this study that he had done. And he said, I think I've almost figured out what Jesus wrote in the sand. And we're like, there's no need to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. It doesn't change anything about the Word of God except that it's keeping you from accepting salvation. And whenever we get hung up on trying to fill in the blanks as people have done with this story, we miss the message of salvation. We don't know the full nature of Ham's sin. Was he guilty of more than just looking upon his father's nakedness? The Bible doesn't say. And any other interpretation is based solely upon assumption. They're just assuming. The next thing we don't know is Canaan's involvement in the sin. We know that Canaan... We know that Canaan was the one who received the curse, but the Bible doesn't say what Canaan's involvement was if there was any involvement, okay? The Bible doesn't say if Canaan was involved or if there was any involvement. Many people very dogmatically state that Canaan was with his father, that Canaan was actually the one who committed the sin. All types of things that are said about Canaan the Bible does not say that Canaan was involved. There's also a theory that says that Canaan was the result of the intimate sin between Ham and his mother, and that's when Noah found out what had happened was whenever Canaan was born. Talk about adding to the Bible. I mean, they are really adding a lot to the Bible. We don't know how or if Canaan was involved. The Bible does not say whatsoever. Why was Canaan cursed? Yes, ma'am. D, Canaan's involvement. Did I skip one? Huh. Okay. How did Noah know? I remember that being a point, but it ain't in my notes. I do not have that point. I remember writing it down. So how did Noah know? We don't know how Noah knew, all right? 
It's not here. I told you I didn't know where I was going or how I was going to get there. But, uh, I'm gonna have, I must have lost that page somewhere. Y'all tell me if I leave anything else out. So how did, how did Noah know? Yes, sir. You'll help me. There you go. So uh, one thing we don't know is how did Noah know? And there are so many theories about how did Noah know? Well, I think that's a pretty easy answer. It's apparent that uh, Ham liked to run his mouth. He came out of the tent and told his brothers. Uh, pretty much everybody but Noah knew, and when Noah woke up, somebody told him. That's how he knew. Uh, there are great theories on how this was revealed to Noah and how Noah found it. No, somebody told him. This is pretty simple to see, okay? Uh, but the Bible doesn't tell us how he knew. And then the last point that I have uh, is um, why was Canaan cursed instead of Ham? We don't know why Canaan was cursed instead of Ham. The Bible does not specifically tell us why Canaan was cursed instead of Ham. Um, and I can see that I have went way too long already. My goodness, I told y'all there was a lot here. I tried to sum this down to a very small lesson, and we're already running out of time. So let's just move on quickly. What does this account tell us? Uh, we'll probably come back to this maybe and cover some more details, but we'll just move on through your blanks. What does this account tell us? Uh, it tells us that Canaan would be a servant to Shem and Japheth. Okay? This account tells us that Canaan would be servant to Shem and Japheth. Now, this is important to point out because all, bar none, all of the teachings that use this passage to justify slavery base it upon the descendants of Ham. Okay? They say this is the curse of Ham and they base their theory on the descendants of Ham. There is a lot we're going to get into with the descendants of Noah's sons. I don't have time at all to get into all of that. Uh, but I will say that Canaan's descendants were never sold into modern slavery. Ham's descendants from Canaan's older brothers, some of them may have been sold into modern slavery. Canaan's descendants were never sold into modern slavery. So whenever we realize that this curse was on Canaan, that Canaan which served Shem and Japheth, we realize that every theory that says that this passage of Scripture justifies slavery is wrong because in order for it to justify slavery, which even if it was on him, it still wouldn't, but in order for it even to be used that way, the curse would have to be on Ham. And the curse wasn't on Ham. So, very interesting to note. And what this account doesn't tell us, what, what this account doesn't tell us, and I've kind of covered it already, this account does not tell us that God condones enslavement of certain people groups. It does not tell us that in any way, form, or fashion. Instead, this passage describes a role that Canaan would feel because of a sin that had been committed. Actually, and this is your last blank, this account is a prophecy. Okay? This account is a prophecy. What is it prophesying? It is prophesying the conflict that would exist between the Israelites, the descendants of Shem, and the Canaanites. Now, if you've spent any time in the Old Testament, you know that there was conflict between the Israelites and the Canaanites. Plenty of conflict between those two groups of people. This is a prophecy 
that says there's going to be conflict between the Israelites and the Canaanites. And the Israelites are going to be dominant. That's what this is. This isn't a curse. This isn't some type... I mean, it is a curse, but this isn't a a, uh, distinction of races saying this group of people will be lower than this group of people. That's not what this is saying at all. This is saying there's going to be, because of this sin, there's going to be contention between the Canaanites and the Israelites. And in this contention, the Israelites are going to be dominant. That's what's being taught here in this passage of Scripture. The Scripture records in several places that the Canaanites were servants to the Israelites. And I've got some passages of Scripture here that we could look at. Let's look real quickly at Joshua chapter number 9. I'll try to be quick here. I just want to show you this so that you don't think I'm just talking. I'm actually, I actually got it right here. Joshua chapter number 9. Here in Joshua chapter number 9, we have the story of the Israelites. Of course, the Israelites were in the land of Canaan. They were conquering the Canaanites. They were taking over the land that God had given to them. And it says in verse number 1 of Joshua chapter number 9, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, heard thereof. All these ites are branches of the Canaanite. All right, the Canaanite and all these other ites, they're all here in the land of Canaan. The Israelites are taking them over. Now if you drop down to verse uh, number 21, what took place is there was one group of people. So they're seeing Israel conquer all these nations. There's one group of people of the Canaanites that said, we got to get smart, we're going to get killed too. So you remember the story, they made themselves look like they've been traveling a long time. They came to Joshua and said, we're weary travelers. We want to make a a pact with you. And so then they made the pact and then Joshua realized that they had tricked him. They were actually part of the Canaanites. And in verse number 21, the princes said unto them, let them live. All right, we figured out that they tricked us, but we did make a pact with them, so let them live. But let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. Now in Moses' prophecy, the curse against Canaan, he said you will be a servant's servant. Here we have the congregation who was servant to the leaders of the land of Israel and the Canaanites are going to be hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation. We see a servant of the servant of the people of Shem. Prophecy came to pass exactly. Um, We see down in verse number 23, Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. In verse number 27, And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. Also, you can go to 1 Kings chapter number 9, and you can see that Solomon uh, had Canaanites as servants. Uh, He was gifted a piece of land that still had Canaanites living in it, and the Canaanites became his servants there in 1 Kings. And there are several other passages of Scripture that show that the Canaanites were servants to the Israelites. 
So any use of this scripture that tries to justify slavery, any use of this scripture that tries to justify racism, any use of this scripture that tries to say that the curse of Ham was that Ham was black is a terrible, terrible misinterpretation and misuse of the word of God. Nowhere in this account is any of that recorded. It's simply not here. I read a whole page of quotes of preachers who preached from that passage of Scripture preaching and justifying slavery in the Old South. Sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. It's a terrible misinterpretation of the Word of God. Now, I don't think anyone here is guilty of using that passage of Scripture in that way. But I do think there's a very important lesson for us here because all of us have passages of Scripture that we may not like entirely, that we may want to tweak a little bit to fit our lifestyle. Let the Bible be true and every man a liar. Let the Bible say what the Bible says. Don't try to tweak it. Read it for what it says. Take time to understand it and live by what it says. I believe there's a powerful lesson to be learned there. But as we go on, we're going to be looking at the genealogies. We'll be looking at the, the, the people groups that develop. We'll be looking at Babel. And I'm telling you what, Genesis, or yeah, uh, Genesis chapter number 10. I looked down here and I was in Joshua's, confused me. Genesis chapter number 10 um, is a genealogy. And Joel and I were setting up last night. I went to bed late last night because I'm like, let me show you this in this genealogy. And let me show you this in this genealogy. And look at this. If we look at this guy and he lived here and this guy lived here, then that means that this happened at this time. And I mean, we were just, we were having a ball. He's like, are you going to tell everybody that tomorrow? I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to go through all this tomorrow. But I'm telling you what, there's some rich stuff. And so uh, a lot of times when you're reading through the Bible, you get in those genealogies and you can get bogged down in them. But boy, I'm telling you what, they're there for a reason. And we'll be looking at some of that in our next lesson. So hope you all enjoyed that this evening, taking a little look at Genesis chapter number 9, the curse of Canaan. Did anyone have...